Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome back within Thin Lines. I'm one of your co-hosts, Vince Castaneda. To my left and right, I have Tyler Frank and Randall Ives. This episode, we are actually present and at location to Karma Cigar Lounge in Merrillville, Indiana. This is going to be our little bit of a debut for our new home studio in partnership with their Cigar Lounge. The owner and team has been very welcoming with their hospitality to offer us a location for us to reunite and connect in person for the ultimate experience. So this is where we will have our some of our shows, depending on where we're traveling, um, but an ultimate a location of enjoyment. A little bit of a special place because it's very unique, and I think they just hit a Cigar Lounge of the Year um, for 2020. So that's a huge excitement for them and good to hear from us um, because they are progressing as no other place has really progressed with a different kind of demeanor. Not only do they offer a wide variety of cocktails and cigars and spirits and the walk-in humidors, but it's the experience that you could experience through it hospitality the friendship the you walk in and then you feel like you're already part of being friends here so but nonetheless we are here we're trying something new um and we're we're enjoying it we've got a couple spirits and being healthy and you know you know and uh good attitude about it and enjoying a couple smokes but to recap and uh see how we've done tyler and randy how are we doing that was a legitimate screw up. Here. That was a we, legitimate we screw up. We haven't had that many spirits. Yeah, not that many spirits. We're still in. We're going to bleep that out. Uh, Tyler, Frank, and Randall Ives. How are the two of you doing today? Excellent. Outstanding. <laughs> I feel like every single time I say something positive to your text, you always come back with outstanding. Outstanding. <laughs> that is your word. That is awesome. How's... uh? How's the, uh, the whole Critical Care and Fire Academy going for you? Tell me about the Fire Academy. Where, where are you at? Fire, uh, we're about uh, three-fourths way through it. We're going over water supply, fire hoses and stuff now. Uh, really enjoying the Academy. Everybody's doing well, and we're, um, we're getting through it, so... Awesome. It's starting to get it's starting to get fun now. Now that we're over the the hurdle of of things, a little more hands on. Um, that we're getting proficient with stuff. a lot more hands on, and we're working well as a team together. Sure. Do you remember going through the fire academy years ago, there, Tyler? Yeah, we're not that old, but yes, <laughs> I, I remember fire academy. <laughs> it was uh, it was tough, man. I think it was uh, what was challenging it was it was what, what once a week every Saturday. Wasn't that our... Uh... Yeah, yeah, we were Saturdays for eight months, I believe. Yeah. And we had the options between the two academies. One was a night, kind of night hours and two times a week, or we could have a full day on Saturdays. That was, it, it, you know, accommodated our work schedules, I think, the best. Yeah. And, and uh, it was the most, most of the hunting season I ever missed in Michigan on Saturdays, but... I liked it. It was enough to. I like Fire Academy a heck of a lot more than I like college at that point. 
yeah, I enjoy the hands-on. But, I mean, that's it. You know, I think it was a lot of, uh, it was hard because a lot of textbook stuff. But once you get your hands dirty, it's, that's where it becomes fun. So I remember the drills and ropes and knots and the week-long hazmat. I got, I got a, I guess a inquiry for Randy. Does your department, does your department, or uh, I'm sure you personally have it with you just from knowing you, but something that, uh, I guess it's hard to explain because it was never told and it was never explained really, but do you have a reputation at your fire academy through your department? Do you have, I mean, obviously every department you know, has expectations, high expectations for their new hires to go to academy and perform well. But it was kind of a self goal for the. There was four of us from our department that we were hired in at to exceed and actually, you know, from guys that have gone before us, they were like, "We know the instructor. We're good friends with him. We expect you to." kind of lead the way you you better be like top of your class make it competitive make you know i mean in a healthy nature obviously but does your department have any of that kind of pushing on you yet or or maybe is there room for you to kind of start that are you going by yourself or do you have other people with you at your academy so in my department there's i believe six or seven of us that are going through the an academy uh, i'm not going through the department's academy through that that county I don't live out there, so I was able to take the local agency's department, uh, local uh, county department in Genesee, taking their class. So I'm the only person from my department that's in my class. Um, they've been virtual. We have not been virtual. Uh, they have not had any hands-on class time. Uh, so we're we're not as far as they are in the book material, but we are we are caught up, you know, between practical and, and lecture stuff. Um, but I've befriended, you know, a good chunk of the class and, uh, we definitely, we're, we're competitive, a little bit competitive. Uh, we definitely have each other's backs and we are, uh, kind of getting together as a group to make sure that we are all successful. So it's definitely some, some team camaraderie there for sure. Uh, with the department that I'm on, I kind of come in as a as kind of an odd duck because I come in just as a paramedic. They're coming in as not medically trained or very minimal medical training and no fire. Where I'm coming in just full medical training and no fire. So not that I certainly push that at all. I don't, you know, I don't walk around. Oh, I'm a you know, I'm a paramedic on the truck. Blah blah blah. Like I work. I, at least I try to come across as I work well, you know, as a team, and I don't, I don't push that around. And if if anybody from the department who is listening to this thinks that otherwise, please let me know because I'd like to. I don't want to yeah, be that guy. Send me an email directly. I'd love to uh, hear about uh, how Randy is just completely wrong right now. Yeah, don't, don't address Randy. Please address us, <laughs> and we will take care of the matters. <laughs> hey, Randy, uh, mute. Um. <laughs> No, it's exciting, yeah, I man. That I, guy I'm out for sure. I, I know this uh, is uh, it's it's one thing to be humble, and I I don't think any, I don't think the three of us would be here right now if we weren't all humble in our own individual ways. So, it's a lot to say about us. 
Oh, for sure. Uh, I like to uh, call myself an ambulance driver. It really pisses a lot of people off being called an ambulance driver, but uh, what do we do most days? You know, we drive an ambulance around. So it keeps me... It's kind of a, two, a double-edged sword. We were talking about that earlier. I like to force myself to be humble because, no, I don't know everything. No, I'm, I'm not, by gosh, at all know everything or, you know, whatever. I'm proficient. I like to say I think I'm proficient at my job, but I definitely have a lot more to learn. So when I do call myself an ambulance driver or just say, you know, I'm just an ambulance driver. What do you guys think? I do that quite frequently on scene, and they it kind of usually gets some funny looks from the fire departments and police agencies and stuff. Wait till you become. Just, a I don't fire. know everything. Wait so what do you guys think? A, so, wait, wait till you become a firefighter, ambulance driver. Then you're just right there with Neanderthals. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Your forehead grows a little bit. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> knuckle dragger. Nope. Ho- hose dragon, knuckle dragger, yep. m- mouth breather. <laughs> mouth breather. Oh goodness. No. No, it's exciting, man. We're we're excited for you. So. And I think, you know, we ever want any help with schooling and whatnot, you know, we're here. So it goes for anybody now, Dance. You know, anybody wants to it. get a little extra assistance or study or a different perspective on it. Just, you know, I I feel like I'm a, a broken record here, but just reach out to us, uh, email and social media. You know, we'd love to we'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your story. We just want to hear where you guys come from and what your culture is. What's uh? What's your handle outside of uh, thin lines? Yep. Well, what is it? What do you mean, my handle? Yeah, your Instagram name. Oh, Jesus, <laughs> Pete. Oh, like what is he talking about? Uh, the stay within thin lines, and it's all broken up with the uh, underscore. So, yeah. kind of a nice touch. Uh, I don't know. We're we're still kind of growing and developing our social media here. So just stay patient with us. We you know we promise we're going to be a lot more aggressive on it and uh, pushing out more content but you know we the three of us have different uh careers and different schedules so we're trying to make it work as much as possible you know today was a special occurrence and we're trying our best and this is where we're at so but we've we've gotten a lot of good feedback from our previous episodes and we uh i don't know to me that that shows that we're maybe doing something right you know but I think uh, there was a little bit of recording that was actually lost, and I, I want to talk about talk about it because I was so mad. Um, I bought a hard drive to save our recordings to make sure we don't lose them. And in the transition of moving that information or those recordings onto the hard drive, one of the segments was lost. So funny, right, how that works. But the conversation that we had was about 10 minutes, and it was Tyler saying, if you, if you feel like we're not doing good here or just like we suck tell us <laughs> you know what I mean? like just you know it's we're not really going to talk most, much about us except for that first episode to really introduce ourselves and we promise we won't talk m- too much about us but we, we want to hear more from the audience but if you feel like this is just not good information or it's not good insight like we're we're humble and we're we're just trying something new we're only here to have the the conversation and to incorporate a conversation with you all you know so if it weren't for our audience members, we really wouldn't be here. You know, we would just be three guys around a table having a couple drinks and smoking a couple cigars, just reminiscing. But the more and more we talk, the more and more we realize we should record it and maybe share the story with everybody else and also give everybody else the opportunity to share their story. Yep. (laughs) 
So you're not gonna hurt our feelings. Yeah, there we go. You're not gonna hurt our feelings. So, but we want to know. We we thrive off of your feedback. So, because that's the only way we are gonna know to get better. So, yeah, and we're working on the technical difficulties. You know, we're reamping our equipment. You know, we're always looking for better equipment, and I think today we've we've completely reamped our stuff versus our last episode. You know, we've got new technology and. We're growing our social media, but this is where we're at, and uh, someday we'll we'll get better at it. And that's all a learning curve, you know. But we're we're thankful for the bigger dogs and the bigger uh, organizations that have started somewhere and they're successful now. But we're thankful for their humbleness to kind of steer us in the right direction. You know, I think I had a uh, a conversation with uh, Chris over at um, IA Med. The owner over there and one of the instructors, you know, IAMED is a great organization to have your critical care and your flight care and National Registry, you know, they just released their National Registry uh, research program. Um, but a lot of uh, resources there for Con Ed and, and, you know, opportunities to learn more and advance your credentials. That's where I got my stuff and I'm very thankful for their education. It's been very positive stuff. If I could pass, all you guys could pass for sure because I'm, I'm a horrible test taker. Um, but they pushed me in the right direction to get where I'm at now. And a uh, conversation I had with them, you know, was just I, I wanted to learn a little more about them and, and also get their take and their opinion about our our podcast here. And they gave us really good feedback. And, uh, you know, I think they, they steered us in the right direction and gave us a shout-out on their Facebook page. And to me, that was like an honor, you know. So I'm very thankful to them. And, we're actually going to try to set up an interview with him someday, so to talk about the uh, the leadership and uh, how to deal with toxic uh, attributes that sometimes you find in the career. So, what about you guys? You guys ever feel that? You ever encounter yeah. that in your jobs? Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's a given. So, unfortunately, that's the human aspect of doing the job. We're always going to come across that situation with those types of individuals. Um, I think the hardest part I've come to is not a not not letting it affect you, and then b uh, always saying some people you can't reach. You know, so my <laughs> my old man used to always say you can't make people do the right thing all the time so but you can keep trying you know so but leadership is that's that I'm sure that'll be a subject that comes up over and over throughout this because we're pretty big on it because um, it differs area to area person to person job to job so and that that is ultimately one of the I guess core principles of our conversations is I'm hoping that uh, we all can find better ways to be leaders within ourselves and and identify those attributes and hopefully kind of put together a nice little formula and how to achieve them some days. I can tell you we're going through a lot of leadership changes right now um, in my area so it's been it been uh, eye-awakening but it's should leave you hungry for it for sure absolutely you know for the success of it i guess some advice that we give for everybody else there i mean how randy how would you how do you handle the 
toxicity that sometimes you encounter? Well, to be 100% honest, uh, as I would always be, for a long time I was definitely a potster. Uh, I definitely was one to latch on to any drama and just roll with it if it was true or not. And I found that I was stupid. <laughs> like, I looked <laughs> stupid. Uh, I was just didn't... This is, this is middle school all over again. And if I ever want to work in a professional environment, I have it has to start with me. So um, sure. don't get me wrong. I, I don't... I like to to listen to what people have to say, but I definitely have become a lot quieter, a lot more reserved than I used to be. Uh, I had a, a new hire that I was training. My partner, Greg, and I were training. And after we were done training her on the first day, she came to us as we were punching out. She goes, hey, I just want to thank you guys for the nice shift, you know, going over everything. You guys are awesome. And she goes, I got to tell you a funny story. When I started here and they, they assigned me to your truck, that people warned me about you, you and uh, you, you and your partner, but you specifically, Randall, that you were a real asshole. And uh, I just, I was so floored that uh, somebody, you know, thought enough of me to, to warn this new hire about how much of an asshole I was. So, and I, you know, I asked her, I'm like, well, do you think I'm an asshole? And she goes, of course not. You guys are awesome. So that was flattering. Um, but it's kind of funny how those those that negativity kind of bounces around and how, you know, hey, somebody out there thinks I'm outstanding. Oh, cool. Just I told her to keep that up. Don't tell anybody that I'm a nice guy. I'm like, <laughs> that's fine with me. My response to them is, uh, well, you have heard of me. <laughs> oh. Yep. So. Nope, for sure. Anytime I get introduced to somebody, I'm like, anything that they've told you about me is true. Whatever it was, it's true. Mm, that usually sure. gets a good laugh. But if you if you know me or get, get to know me for a second, I'm a pretty nice guy. I will say, and I'm, I'm people, you know, I don't know. I think I'm an okay guy. Sure. But so, if people people ask me why I'm angry at all. You know, I walk around the station like I'm angry or something. I'm I'm really not. I'm just people just stay away from me, and I'm okay with it. <laughs> but I'm a pretty approachable, nice guy. I really am. I probably like right. So how do we handle the, because I think as professionals, you know, we, we're under a very big microscope, you know, whether, and it goes for, you know, we want to do the right thing. Whatever we do, we want to make sure we do the right thing. At least that's where we should be as caregivers, as providers, as firemen, as police officers, as everything. Within these thin lines, we want to be able to provide the best for our community. So how do we handle the political like the politics and the you know the above our pay grade conversation of that was the right you did the right thing but you you broke protocol and i hate to steer this conversation towards <laughs> news because we always so fearful about talking about news but it's a great conversational aspect randy what happened in uh, oklahoma city So back in the end of January, would have been so sometime mid-January, there was a fire in Oklahoma City. 
They were in some pediatric patient was burnt. It sounded like second degree burns. They, the fire department responded. They're now transporting, and they have a private uh, agency that transports their ALS for them. They waited on scene for over 20 minutes for an ambulance to respond. And reading through this article and reading through some of the other things that I've seen, the fire department has not a good working relationship with the private service. Okay. The private service will give inaccurate ETAs, uh, saying that, oh, yeah, we're just right around the corner, but really they're 20 minutes away, which just blows my mind that and if a dispatcher would lie to start or that the agencies would, you know, management would allow that for a second. That just blows my mind. Like we're all, all these places are tracked and all these things are recorded. So I just don't understand. So I, I have questions. Let's just leave it at that. Sure. About the, the F, the uh, company's morals and ethics on that. So we don't know how extensive, how extensive the burns were to the, to the patient, the so patient. They were classified um, as so second degree burns. So is that, how severe is that? What is, and to both of you, what is what is a second degree burn? What's the definition? You know, like is that critical? Is that like oh boy, like real bad? Like what's a first? What's a second? Or what's a third for the audience members that maybe aren't aware? So first degree burn is like a sunburn, okay? Where you've got it's superficial. It's just the first layer of skin there. You've got redness, uh, some pain, but it's not. Uh, it's not thick. It doesn't go down um, past the uh, outer layers of the skin. Okay. And what's the second? Um, second is superficial, or not superficial, partial thickness. So sure. it gets to be more than a first degree burn. It starts to actually uh, blister. Br- yep. It breaks the, uh, uh, the dermis, to... which is the, uh, the next layer of the skin. So as soon as you break your dermis, that's your uh, second degree burn. And then third is your most serious, um, which pretty much breaks through both layers of skin and now has affected your tissue. So it could be muscle and, and all that, but it's going to be uh, overall you need full skin, was that, uh, skin grafting, right? So skin replacement. So sorry to divert. I just want to make sure we explain. Hopefully that, that you can. Hopefully you can get the, the, uh, you know, if it is just a third degree burn. But we we're actually just teaching. There's actually they've started a fourth degree burn now, mm-hmm. in this critical care class. They were discussing that if it goes down and actually affects uh, the bone or affects the tendons and ligaments, then it's it's actually classified as a fourth degree. So they've added another level there. Absolutely. And on the fire side of things, I guess, uh, I mean, it, when you, given the situation with the structure fire and everything, if you pull a patient out that has second degree burns, you can as- assume and should assess the airway of the patient because they were in an environment in which probably smoke and toxic and all that garbage is in the air. So, and especially in a pediatric patient, because that's our leading cause of, of, cardiac arrest is respiratory arrest so um, second degree burns on a on a peed in a structure fire environment i'm i it's still it's priority one airway depending on how the airway is for sure 
talking about burns, I mean, I know you recently took your national registry, so, like, the rules of palms. Did you see any questions about Because I feel like every test you take for medical, there's always something about burns, right? Actually, this time around, I did not. The first time I had a couple questions with the percentages and all that, but this time, I did not. Sure. So, What is the rule of palms? Just a little brief uh, conversation. Well, I just did palm. I don't know if you were asking me or Tyler. Oh, you just did palm, and then you can kind of, the patient's palm, and you can kind of count, that's like, what, 1% per palm? Nice, nice. So, yeah. And then go over the, what the affected areas are, and then you can c- quickly calculate a general idea of, of the total body surface area. Sure. Um, See that which you don't you count. Nines, right? First, Sorry, not to butt in. No, I'll several, say, I mean, it's... it's there, uh, there are several different ways. Yeah. There's a lot of different ways you could, like, learn the algorithm. So, I mean, just as, as long as you learn it and you understand it, um, you want to know the percentage of the burns. Because that's also going to delegate how you treat and where you transport. Uh, but to go back into the Oklahoma City, right, it is Oklahoma City that happened, right? This, uh, this event that we're talking about? Correct. Um, so yeah. mis- yes. if I'm mistaken, if I recall the article, what happened is that uh, they were waiting for 20 minutes. Uh, they didn't have the best partnership with EMS that was there. And uh, what a decision was made that, you know, for the, I think the leader of the, of the medical provider of the engine had delegated, you know what, this is a critical patient. I need to get him to the hospital. So we're going to get him to the hospital. What they did is put him on the engine and get him to the hospital by engine. This is not the first time we've seen this. These kind of events has happened before, and the same recurrent happens where they get under scrutiny um, because they broke protocol. You know, our protocol is you do not transport a patient in an engine because they're not able to be secured to a stretcher. The stretcher's not able to be secured to the body of the, of the, the engine and be able to be transported in the most secure manner. You know, what if... It's all about the what-if games. What if you got into an accident? Now, because they're not secured, it becomes fatal. You know, it's a huge thing. But whoever made the call, he made the decision. They, heaven forbid, nothing happened where they got an accident route. They got to the hospital. The patient received treatment. And from what I understand is that even throughout all this, the ambulance still didn't show up. You know, and then what happened from there? What was the, uh, what was the big scrutiny they got? So the department did not fire this individual, but he was severely reprimanded for it. Yeah, what, what uh, the article is saying. No, I don't even think it was that. No. So, no, I don't. I don't even think it was that. So. But he was facing originally. Uh, it was, he was facing like a slap on the wrist. He was, he was originally facing like potential risk of his career because he broke protocol and um i think it was from the outcome of the patient and the fact that i remember seeing an update article that the family praised him you know for doing what they had to do to get him to the ultimate treatment which was to get to a hospital and under a physician's care you know um and how do we handle that you know how do we handle that decision what would you guys do in that position where you're sitting there and there's no ambulance you know that this pediatric needs a hospital, and you're just, like, waiting and waiting and waiting. You know, it's hard to plays devil, play that devil's advocate, but, like, would I have done anything different? 
you know, it sucks. It's a hard, hard trigger to pull because, yeah, you're breaking a major protocol. And what if he did transport and they got into a wreck? How would the uh, the rules have changed? It's tough to say, and this is why I always get the heebie-jeebies with news stuff, because there's yeah. his side, well, not his side, but two sides of a story, and then the truth, you know. Outsiders looking in, I always encourage everybody to do their, own, do, do their own research. Um, and kind of, you can't, you can't live under a rock forever. you got to look at the news here and there and kind of assess how you would do things, not say it's right or wrong, but... Um, that's kind of the in our industry it's kind of the live and die by the sword almost you know you know there is a sense of heroics to it and you're it's not doing it because of the heroics because at that moment in time with the circumstances faced and the uncertainties faced you made the decision and you're going to live by the decision so um but when the dust settles, that's when uh, the leadership aspect comes in, whether it's toxic or um, not. Because, I mean, and, and not not to say that I take sides on any of them, but you got to make some decisions knowing administratively, politically, that it's going to have a ripple effect somehow. And they've got to make decisions. And you almost can't hold them as the bad guys too, you know, too much because, you know, they've got to set precedence a little bit you know we do have chains of command and we do have protocols for a reason and once you start letting it slip that's when the you know we they always called it cowboying or mavericking comes it comes into play and, and you don't want to start creating an environment that allows that you know they're always worried probably financially with lawsuits and whatnot obviously because um, their job is to manage the the financial and the image and all that of the organization you work for but um to some degree it also they've got to manage the environment you work for you know so it's it's tough call you know there seems to be a huge a huge breakdown of, of everything in the situation where there needs to be a better response a better truthful working relationship between the agencies because that's just, I mean, it's 2021, guys. Like, there's no excuse for this at all. Uh, the, I can see why the fire department, you know, has to set a, an example for the other firefighters that this isn't allowed. So I, I understand, where, you know, kind of where the manager is coming from from there. But uh, we also don't know, like, like you said, like how bad the patient was. So it's kind of hard to, you know, if the patient was absolutely critical, altered, you know, unresponsive. EMS was not giving me an update. I didn't trust what they were giving me. Like, I like to think, you know, I'm a, a beg for forgiveness versus beg for permission or whatever. How does that saying go? Nope. I'd ask rather for, ask for forgiveness, forgiveness yeah, versus but, permission or something. Yeah. I did have a coworker uh, working in the Detroit area years and years ago. This is before I worked there, but this is an after uh, an issue after the fact. He uh, his ambulance got stuck, and he was uh, he felt as though the pediatric patient that he was taking care of was critical, and the ambulance got stuck in a snowdrift or something in the driveway of this patient's house. So what he ended up doing, you know, they had another crew on the way, but because of the snow conditions, it was taking them quite a while to get there. 
Well, so the medic did. He jumped in the patient's father's pickup truck, four-wheel drive pickup truck, with his gear, and they transported the hospital in the in the vehicle. Right. So then he he was fired for that from that that company. Uh, just absolutely, that was not not okay. And going back and hearing the stories from other people who were there or who knew more about it than I did. And even some of the hospital staff that the patient wasn't even that much of an emergent patient. So it's kind of one of those, he said, she said, you know, go with your gut instincts. So you're damned if you're do damned if you don't. Right. It's, uh, it's tough. It's absolutely tough. So. Yeah. And just one thing we reflect on and we, we kind of learn from and kind of put ourselves in that role it's really hard again i always say it's hard to play that backseat quarterback but it's uh this is a culture we live in you know you, you got to make that right decision and just pray that it turns out to be the right decision you know so but and then uh other news you know i think should be a uh, conversation to have um There was a uh, unfortunate situation that happened in Florida, and I don't know if you guys were able to, to pick up on it. And it's pretty recent, um, but the the shooting and killing of uh, the two FBI agents that happened on the third of February. Um, you know, I think every now and then I do want to insert a little bit of a an honorary plug for the the members of our thin lines that were lost in this and. Not that I always want to talk about negative situations, but these are names that we need to honor and respect for giving the ultimate sacrifice. And from what I understand and reading the news is, you know, they were serving a warrant and uh, I'm not going to mention and I will never mention the name of the assailant uh, because they don't deserve that. I think the names that needed to be served to, to deserve the mention is the, uh, the agents and, uh, I think Special Agent uh, Schwarzenberger and uh, Alfin were the ones who were serving that or- that uh, that order and end up losing their life out of it. You know, talks about scene safety and how quick a situation could change. You know, and recently, just reflecting upon that, there was a video that released. I think it's it just got released because an investigation took its time, but it, it happened back in October, I believe. Um, and I'll share it with you guys at some point so you could see it too. But this officer who was pulling a normal traffic stop, he just turned his wheel a little bit of a cant, and, you know, just because on the highway, and you always learn that, that active practice where if you cant your wheel a little bit off and you get hit from behind, your, your vehicle is just going to go off into the ditch or whatever. You know, you're kind of preparing yourself for the worst-case scenario. Just as he turned his wheel, the driver of the other car pulled out, you know, stepped out of his vehicle, and it was almost like a quick instinct. Just like that, the officer, you know, withdrew his pistol and he was getting shot at. And uh, ultimately, the officer won the battle there, um, saved his life, and you know the rest of the story. But the reason why I'm bringing this up is that in a moment's notice, your scene could change. And that's one thing we always got to be prepared for. So that's one thing that I think throughout our careers together, we... We learn to be diligent in, but also I think we become complacent in. You know, we don't expect the worst to happen to us. You know, we're 
we're always going to be invincible, but I'm sure that all these two agents and you know thought the same. They woke up to get ready for work and didn't think would anything would happen to them, and here here they are. So, but a, an ultimate salute from us, and a, you know a moment of respects to them for for giving their lives and, mm-hmm. and, and serving what they do they do best. So, but in other news. Um, yeah, another subject I want to talk about, and I think it's it kind of mingles in this conversation, is a topic that I seem to have a reoccurring conversation with a lot of people. You know, whether it's EMS, fire, and uh, some law enforcement officers and dispatchers. Um, you know, there's some states that are now passing bills where they're allowing their EMS providers to carry. What are you guys' philosophy on that? Go ahead, Tyler. That's, uh, I've always been a, I mean, I'm, I'm rural. And I, that whole culture and the Second Amendment and everything, that's, that's part of my life, obviously, outside of work and everything. But I think, um, the old saying, do no harm, but do no harm, <laughs> you know, yeah. you're, I don't, I don't, I don't, I guess it's hard for, to put on the spot, to put it into words. I guess ultimately, as much as I recreate with firearms, and they are part of the law enforcement job, um, I won't, I won't carry personally on a call not say out and about and with my family obviously but um your ultimate uh i mean a, a, a firearm is just another inanimate object your ultimate weapon in any situation situation would be your brain and your your scene assessment skills so i try to roll into everything and put myself in a position um without one where i don't have one so i don't have the option to um, intervene, whatever the, uh, I'll call it pseudo-confidence that one might carry with it. And I don't want the responsibility of it. Uh, that's weird coming from me, you know, because I'm a huge proponent of it. But um, I probably won't ever carry one, even if protocol allowed me to carry one in EMS. Um, that's, that's not the role I've chosen. If I ever get into law enforcement someday, then obviously... Um, there, I'd take that responsibility on and become the shield between good and evil. Uh, but as far as EMS and fire go, um, your role is something else. And I think your mental um, strength and uh, your brain is ultimately what's going to keep you out of trouble. And if the good Lord sees to bump me off, I mean, it, he's going to do it with it, with one <laughs> strapped to my side or without. So, but... Not to say there's something wrong with it, um, and the agencies that have decided to go forward with it, I'm sure they've done their homework and they've done their um, their math, and it works for their situation and their system, and that's perfectly fine. I just hope a system does does it due process and make sure they're making decisions um, on what the public needs and what their department needs. Um, not just on kind of the hysteria that comes with 
arming EMS and fire department. But I guess that's kind of the whole of it. I'm, I'm that I can kind of think of right now off the top of my head. But so, what if? How would you feel if you were working on the ambulance and your partner said, "Hey, I'm strapped." Well, that comes down to protocol. If, if, if the agency allows and he's abiding by the system, that's, I mean, he's, that's his right. But obviously it's, it's good to know. I'm sure, I'm sure within a system it's either all or nothing. I doubt that one, I mean, you can consci- conscientiously, I'll butcher that <laughs> word. What is it? Consciously? Objector. In the military, right? Yeah, yeah, there we go. But I mean, I don't know. If he's supposed to, then I guess that's his right and we'll work together. But if he's not supposed to, then we're putting the brakes on the rig. Hold up. Wait. What about you, Randy? So I've only had a handful of calls where I felt that pucker factor, like we don't need to be here. Yeah. The first was when I moved to Detroit. I uh, was working in the Detroit area, uh, running rescue with Detroit EMS. We were upper northwest side, which is usually not a terrible, it's not the worst part of town. We went for an overdose, walked into this apartment. There was literally vacuum lines where they vacuumed up to this guy's body who was laying on the carpet. So they were trying to get rid of whatever evidence, whatever whatever happened. So we, we walked in, and there was three or four huge guys sitting in the back part of this apartment all playing poker. They didn't stop playing poker. They just kept playing poker, even though they had called 911 and their buddy was unresponsive from an overdose. Hmm. So my trainee and my other part my partner was taking care of the patient trying to see what was going on with that and i was trying to get the story what's going on from these guys so i kind of pressed a little bit too hard and this one six foot ten whatever huge guy got up and he just kept standing up and i'm halfway up this apartment around a couch and he starts coming at me and i am like wow this escalated quickly so I screamed at my partner to grab the patient and go to get ready to go. I was able to put the couch in between me and this guy who guaranteed was had was packing something. Was able to de-escalate the situation enough and get enough physical distance between us. My heart's just absolutely racing. I still think about this every once in a while. I was like, holy shit. But I was yeah. running my mouth, too. I was like, hey, you know, what What did this guy take? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, typical, you know, from not Detroit, how we handle things. Not being a, a douche about it. But, hey, you know, what happened? What's the deal? Yeah. Well, they, I was able to go back to the patient once I got him on the opposite side of the couch. Like, we did, like, a John Wayne circled the the horse corral here all a little right, bit, all right. <laughs> got around the couch, went back to the patient, like, scooped this patient up, threw him on the stretcher, equipment on the stretcher and all, we just shoved it over, and we fucking hauled out of there. Um, or we, we hauled out of there, rather. Sure. So that, at, at that moment, I said, I'm a guest in this city. I don't live here. 
and I'm going to treat my act like a guest. So I stop my boots whenever I walk into a house. I'm very polite. Hello, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. What can I do for you, ma'am? What can I grab for you? Just being super polite. Absolutely. And it's not that I don't care, but it's this is self. This is just self. Uh, um, there's a term for it. Preservation. Preservation, just like Tyler said. There you go. Self-preservation at this point. Uh, okay, it doesn't matter what he took. Yeah. It doesn't matter because he had he had obvious narcotic use, so it doesn't matter what he took. Yeah. I didn't need to push the subject. I didn't need to put my partner and my trainee in harm. It made no difference. The outcome was the same. So you now like what I mean? What does it really matter? To pick your brain I mean, on this on that outcome, if you were to f- reflect on that exact scenario and one of you were 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 strapped do you think that outcome would have changed whether you draw or your partner draw i would have drawn no no question sure i would have drawn 100 percent yeah um that because that i was i was going to get my outstanding and hard and i i honestly deserved it it wasn't my it wasn't my i in my room or my purview sure to, to push as hard as i did i was not a police officer uh it doesn't matter the guy's unresponsive to treat your patient you get in and get out. They they don't teach you that stuff in school. Right. They they don't. I mean, and that's one of the, you know a great thing to think about. You know, and obviously what we're talking about, and then in, in initial education is put people in these scenarios. Yeah. Yep. Get in and get out. Yep. Um. You know, if we would have drawn, he would have drawn. Somebody would have gotten shot, and I probably wouldn't be here today. So. It's no, I, I do not think that it is appropriate for EMS. EMS people can't even handle their job alone. They can't handle the calls. They can't handle doing the reports. They can't handle even check, checking their truck out or washing their truck at the end of the shift. How much? Jeez. How can we trust these people to, to, to carry lethal right. weapons? Right. So, I mean, maybe non-lethal weapons we could talk about. Pepper spray, you know, a four-cell D-mag light. That was my personal preference <laughs> for a long time. Yeah. Um, or maybe, like, uh, some tasers or something like that. Just something to get us out. But honestly, as you try hit it on the hit the nail on the head, like you need to to work your way out of that situation, or know, or trust your partner enough who does have ex- enough experience to know when when you get that gut feeling, you just need to back out, absolutely yeah. back out. And if uh, an organization doesn't have your back on that, then you shouldn't work for that organization because they're a bad organization. Sure. No, that makes or sense. So, something went wrong. Something 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 went wrong. So. If they don't trust you enough to, you know, you be able to explain yourself that, you know, this situation was not safe. I'm backing, backing the hell out. Oh, yeah. Uh, you you got to do what you got to do. You got to go home. At, you absolutely have to go home at night or in the so morning. The three priorities of safety is my safety, your safety, and then the patient safety. You know, it's uh, I think that's an old school yep. textbook thing. I remember when I first went to EMT school. But, uh, yeah, it's it's who, who's going to go home at night, you know, and um, that's tough. You know, they're talking about this it brings me back to uh i think it was back in like 2012 if you guys remember or not i'm sure this has happened many, many times unfortunately but in specific it was like upstate new york and this fire department was called for a house fire and they got ambushed they got ambushed by a shooter an active assailant and two of their firefighters lost their lives you know and and it was planned it was deliberate and that was his motives you know and uh, is it something where one of them was strapped? Would they have saved themselves? I don't know. But in, in my, my opinion about this is that 
A, I've, I've seen it firsthand where I've seen a uniformed EMT or a paramedic. I don't, I don't know them personally. I just saw them at a store and I looked at them because you're always like, you know, comparing yourselves to other organizations. And I remember seeing a pistol on his hip and I'm like, and I wanted to ask him, I was like, dude, are you, are you on the job right now? Are you on your way home and you're just trying to flex because it's an open carry state? I don't know. But I, I remember thinking, like, I wanted to ask him. Is it your policy or is it within your policy and protocols that you're allowed to do that? Um, because A, if it is, okay, sure, I'll back off. Uh, B, if it's not, then you wearing a uniform and a pistol, you're kind of like counteracting two different beliefs. And not that I'm saying people who, work, who carry pistols have a, a different perspective or a different uh, objective or mission, but I truly believe that you carrying and the public knowing that you carrying completely changes your patient report and your ability to build, to build a report. I think it changes your demeanor. Um, I've also had it firsthand where, you know, I've had it where I've, I've been drawn on. And I think I've, I learned to use my most appropriate skills of communication to de-escalate the scene. But I also knew that if I was carrying and if I were to have drawn... Um, do I think I would have drawn it as a scenario if I was carrying? Probably not. Um, was it a pucker factor? Sure. But I also know that if I did draw, one of us wouldn't have gone home at that, that time. But the ultimate scenario was that I was able to de-escalate it with my words, and both of us were able to survive another day. You know? Um, but I think the fact of you carrying kind of it changes your your different layers of or your different steps of de-escalation which it shouldn't always and this goes for any kind of open carry or concealed carry the fact that you know like <clears throat> if you're if you're licensed to carry you shouldn't be walking around with a pistol on your on your hip with the emotion that you're going to draw it out right away unless your life is in complete threat right that second but you should be able to work through that steps of de-escalation before you pull out the big guns um, but then it's tough, you know, what if we were in that situation where we we're being ambushed? You know, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely a, uh, a different kind of mentation and a different type of training and, uh, kind of reading through the other EMS providers. So going through a statistic, uh, rating through EMS one, um, they did a poll and I think like 59% of people who took the poll, they wished they had carried or were able to carry. Uh, 10% or something like that said that they they only hope that people who are trained or are attached to special weapons and tactics teams are allowed to carry. And then like 9% said no, you know, and it's just, I don't know, it's a tough battle because uh, until we get into that moment, we're, we're never really going to know what we wish we had, you know, and I think we need to stay diligent. And is it something where we should have PD respond to all calls? You know, should we make that more of a habit? Should we make it more of a, a tradition to have somebody there that's able to control the scene if it gets completely de-escalated? Should we pay more attention and, and not be complacent on scene safety? You know, there also has been times where I responded to a full arrest and I've stormed through a house trying to find that victim and completely neglected the whole scene safety aspect. You know, that's just, that's what we do, you know, but uh, it's tough. I've, I've I've woken up from a scene being bashed across the head as well. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's uh, 
I don't know. It's a tough conversation. But you being in the audience, you know, what's your take on this? And it, do you carry? Are you allowed to carry? What's your protocol? What's your procedures? Um, how does your department reflect upon the training of it? You know, is it something where you're only allowed to carry after so much training and, and seniority or, you know, responsibility? I don't know. I think uh, I was also asked by a crew member on an ambulance, um, but being the senior medic, I told them, no, I don't want you to carry, you know, because, again, I think that changes uh, that changes our mission a little bit. So, but that goes for anything, you know, drug administration, you know, you could get me really, really heated about ketamine. <laughs> you, know, you talk about ketamine, it's got, a, it's very powerful drug and it works really well, but that shouldn't be our go-to medication for all circumstances. We should be able to escalate into that medication in a stepwise manner, you know, working with your words, working with hands-on, working with straps before you work into the uh, worst case scenario. But it's training and exposure and uh, finding that efficacious. So there's scenario. a good topic, Vince. What's that? There's a good topic. Uh, I don't know if you ever, you never really worked in Kalamazoo County. Uh, but Kalamazoo County has uh, Dr. Fails, who is the Michigan State of Michigan EMS director. Yep. Uh, he is actually not, we are not allowed to physically restrain patients in Kalamazoo County. You are, if you cannot talk them onto your stretcher, you sedate them. End of story. Uh, and that's something that a lot of people have never even heard of, and I like to bring up in different trainings and topics and talks, that he wants you to sedate them. Be done with it. And I don't know if they have ketamine over there in that county yet. I'm assuming they do. Uh, or what they're exactly, what medication they want to go to, if it's Versed or whatever. But, and I've I've been guilty since we got ketamine up here, um, because I was doing it with uh, Versed before that, which I didn't have much success with. Um, but uh, ketamine works great. It, 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 for, to me, I've had uh, three or four calls now where I've given ketamine for uh, excited delirium issues sure. and where we become safer, the scene safer, the patient is safer because we're not wrestling with them. All the above. Like I've had great success with it. Um, Absolutely. And I've, I've had, I've also had uh, an issue that we'll, we'll get into at some point with another one of our scenarios. It was a good scenario. Sure. Uh, where ketamine was a, was possibly an issue from the ER side of things, not necessarily the EMS side of things. But uh, I'll see if I'll put that in my back pocket for that. I think, yeah, that's a great conversation so, for our next but no, episode. No, you're definitely right. <laughs> Talk about Good, ketamine. Because we right. ain't got enough time in the day for ketamine and Vince. <laughs> don't, don't get me started. Like, let's go back to our electric forest days and talk about ketamine where I went toe-to-toe with a doctor there. Because um, there's a lot of information on ketamine that I think it's uh, completely misunderstood and also unaware. You know, so it's... Uh, it's a very, very useful drug, but it's also very dynamic. And uh, if it's not understood, it could also be very dangerous. The horse, so. the horse tranquilizer, yes. Yeah, the horse tranquilizer. But the dose is just to me, it's yeah. the, the training behind it. And you really got me ball rolling on this, so I'll be quick about it. But the training behind it is just here's a drug. It works really great. Push it. Here's your dose. And you see a lot of paramedics. I've seen it firsthand where they push it, and they're like, they're verbatim entirely. You could back, back me up on this because you can tell my veins are starting to pop. Their verbatim idea behind ketamine is let's smoke them. 
And I hate that mentation coming from a medic, that you want to just smoke your patient because it's easier for you. That's not patient advocacy. You know, there's been times where I've seen Guilty. patients wrestle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. There's been times where you need it and you push it. But there's also been times where I've seen these medics wrestle a patient trying to figure him out. I come up and I'm like, hey, brother, stand up. Let me have a conversation with you. He stands up. We have a conversation and we go on by our day. You just have that conversation. Our first skill, and this is also a skill that is not really well trained in paramedics academies, is have the art of conversation. And I think a big article that I love, and I'll try to pull it out to share with the audience one day, but a phrase that has been very successfully utilized to de-escalate scenes, whether it's a mental health crisis, violence, or whatever it is, is you simply say, let me see if I understand you right. That's it. You're not giving them positive information in a sense like, oh, yeah, I also see the crazy elephant running around the room. No, you're not saying that. You never agree with what they're saying, right, in that sense. But you simply offer a understanding that you are listening. And just that tool that you have on your belt, and you have it holstered just like a little raptor scissor, and you're like, click, and use it. Let me see if I understand you right. Try it the next time you find yourself in that situation. Just listen to them. Give them an open ear. Give them an opportunity to express themselves. And then work with that. And then you, you, you titrate your treatment and your escalation of treatment based off the skills that you could have or the report you could have with that patient. It's not your emergency. It's not your partner's emergency. It's not your department's emergency. It's a patient's emergency regardless of what they called you for or what you've been called for. But that is a subject we could have plenty of hours and days to talk about, and we will write that down in our queue of conversations. But with that being said, to you all, how do you feel about all this? How do you feel about the scene safety and caring or non-caring or the use of ketamine? Get me started on ketamine. I'd love to hear what your department uses and your understanding. Plus, tell me about the training. What do you understand about ketamine other than just the dosages? Just block out about six hours of your time if you get it going. <laughs> right. Let me calm myself down real quick. Hello, I'm Vince, and I'm back. No, but it's uh, that's a great conversation. That's that's a great topic, and we'll definitely save that in our list of conversations for our next episode. So, what do you think? Anything else? Cricket, cricket. I think my name is Tyler Frank, Fine. and remember to stay within thin lines. <laughs> you got it. You got it. You got to get like real deep and personal with it. Randomly hurt. Thank you for contacting Apple Care. <laughs> Please hold. All right, Randy, give us your sign off. Yeah, let's give it to you, Randy. Share it with us. And always stay within thin lines. A rat of rat. Right.